meditation of our hearts. Be only acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> I started having foot pain about five or six years ago, or probably more like seven now that I think about it. And at first it wasn't too bad, but it just became this sort of chronic thing that I've had. I've gone to doctors, and I've tried to figure out exactly what is going on, and I haven't really gotten anywhere super positive with it. Perhaps if you've struggled with chronic pain, you know this, this feeling of, of pain and frustration and, and even hopelessness that overcomes you. A couple weeks ago, I, I stumbled across an ad on the internet for something that I should have just realized was a scam, or not really a scam, just a sham, I guess is the better word for it. But I got excited, and it looked like, well, maybe this would actually help with my foot pain. So I, I ordered it, and then as I was ordering it, they were, kept asking me if I wanted to add this or that or this to the cart, and I should have therefore been red flagged that this is a sham. But of course, when you have pain and you want it to go away, you get hopeful in these odd little things. So I pressed through and really thought without acting. And it ended up just being sort of a dud and not something that actually really helped. And that there in and of itself is fine, but then about a, two or three weeks later, I noticed another charge from them, and so I emailed them. And I emailed them once, and they had, they had never responded. I wasn't very hopeful, and I thought, oh boy, I'm going to have to go and cancel my card and get a new card and all that. And they, they emailed me back, and they were like, well, you know, you signed up for the super subscription plan or something along that lines. They, they drew me in, and I didn't notice this whole litany of questions that I was also signing up for something else. When we're, we're hurting, we often have this tunnel vision, and we just want relief from whatever it is that's hurting us, whether it be pain in our feet or our backs or a friend or loved one hurting we just want relief, and that's all we can focus on. This morning, we read the second miracle in St. John's Gospel. And, it, and it, the, both the, the Galileans and this official have this sort of tunnel vision where they only want something specific. <clears throat> but in order to really understand what's going on in this passage, we have to, have to rewind a little bit. We have to go back. To, if we remember, after last miracles, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem where he performs, where he does more things. He judges the, the money changers and he, he talks to Nicodemus for the while. And Nicodemus doesn't believe, but then he comes back down to Galilee. And the, the route that would have been taken by the, the Jewish people at that time would have gone down and around this region called Samaria because the Samaritans were there. And the Samaritans, to use a very technical term, were rather icky. If you don't remember who the Samaritans were, that's okay. I had to remind myself as I was preparing as well. It's a little nuanced. The Samaritans were basically the people, the, the northern kingdom, those that remained after Assyria came down and sacked them, the ones that remained, and then married into various Gentile relationships. And so they were, they were interbreeded, which was a big no-no, and, and then they started to make their religion sort of syncretic, which is... A fancy term for they worshipped Yahweh still, but they also worshipped some other things and they brought in other traditions and outside traditions. And so, so the people from the southern kingdom, Judea, kind of looked down on them like, well, what is, what is wrong with you people? You've intermarried, you've, you've 
soiled our religion, so on and so forth. And so it, it was scandalous that Jesus, instead of going around them, just was like, well, I'm just going to head back down to Galilee and head right through Samaria. And then, of course, while he's on that journey, there's that interaction with the woman on the, at the well, which we, I think, all know well. Sorry, that wasn't an intended pun. We all know that story well, so we don't need to really relive it. But, but it gives us the context for what's about to happen. He meets the woman at the well and continues to, mer- to minister in Samaria. And St. John summarizes this time right before where we picked up this morning. And he writes, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that he ever did. So when the Samaritans came to, the, came to him, that is Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, we no longer, we no longer, it is no longer because of you that what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. You notice here, they not only believed, but they believed properly. They believed because they heard. They saw nothing. There's no account of Jesus doing miracles here. Simply, he knew something about this woman, and then he taught the Samaritans, and they believed And they believed properly. They believed that he was the savior of the world. And this launches us into what we read this morning. In 43 to 45, some people think that this isn't entirely attached to the text that we read of the actual miracle. But if we don't read 43 through 45, we don't get, get the full context of what's going on. And first, he he bypasses his hometown of Nazareth because he says that he has no honor there. And we may think, well, this is just an explanation as to why he's not stopping in this town. Because if you look at the route from, from where he met the woman down to Cana, you know, it would have been a quick day stop. He could have stopped in and gotten a sandwich with a buddy and caught up and all of that. But he doesn't. He just passes by it. And the reason is he has no honor there. But I think John is drawing out something even more important. It's this interplay between belief and unbelief. Jesus didn't stop by his hometown because as he went by, he's reminded that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. In other gospel accounts, we read that he goes into his his local synagogue and he teaches, and he teaches wonderful things. And they not only reject him, but they run him out of town, and some, some even say that they tried to kill him. So he did not have honor in his hometown, so he passed it by, and instead going to Galilee, to Cana. He seems to be extremely popular there, and if we don't read this very carefully, we think, well, look, they all came to him. That's amazing. But all that it says is they came to him because they had seen what he had done. There's no mention, again, of belief. It's it's conspicuously left out and it's not until we read further on that we realize oh no they don't believe they just want to see him do marvelous things they want to be healed of whatever it is that's bothering them but they don't want to believe and follow him we read that he welcomed him but but that's about all some time ago i was 
going to lunch and I, I was flipping through the radio channels and I stumbled across NPR. Don't worry, this isn't an endorsement of NPR for those of you who don't like NPR. Um, I know you well enough to know that many of you don't. Um, but there was an interview that kind of caught my attention. It was an interview with somebody that I would call an atheist apologist. And it, his claim that he was making in this interview was that people wanted to follow Jesus because Jesus and his disciples performed better miracles or better magic than the pagans did. And so they all wanted this power. But this passage really challenges that. Because you notice the Samaritans that we just talked about really in brief, I hope, the Samaritans didn't see any miracles. They simply heard his word and believed. Meanwhile, the Galileans saw miracles, but there's no mention of them believing. People are curious about Jesus. Even today, back then and today, they want to know about him, but they also sometimes want to see him do something, or they want him because they can give him us something. So you may be curious, but do you believe whether you see or don't see? The truth is, is the truth of Jesus internal to you? Do you want something from Jesus like I wanted relief from my foot pain? Or are you, willing, or are you happy just with the satisfaction of knowing him? And if you know him and love him, are you willing to introduce him to your friends? And family. If you read the whole of St. John's Gospel, which I hope you all will this year with our reading plan, you will start to notice that belief and unbelief are two popular themes throughout, or two themes that run throughout St. John's Gospel. And it becomes important to understand this passage, as I hope you're starting to see. And so that's where we meet this royal official from Cana. He is, in fact, a royal official who would have worked for the Roman government because Caperna, where he was from, was a strategic outpost for Rome. So, Which means there would have been many Roman officials there. And it doesn't matter whether he's Jewish or Gentile. He simply worked for the enemies. I used this example in, in, Christian, or in um, staff Bible study earlier this week. Like imagine if Prescott or Arizona or the West Coast or whatever gets occupied by some foreign power. doesn't matter who they are. They come and occupy us. Chances are most of us would be really uncomfortable with them and even hate them. But then one of you says, well, I, I really need to get by, and so decides to go work for them. To us, it wouldn't matter whether that person was once a part of us or part of the occupying force. We would feel uncomfortable and maybe even hate that person. This may not actually be the Christian response to such a thing, but we're not going there right now. I just want you to imagine what that feeling is. This is how they would have seen that official. He was somebody, whether Roman or, or, or Jewish, he was somebody who was betraying them, who was oppressing them. He was dirty, he was an outsider, because he was working for that occupying force. But nonetheless, he comes to Jesus desperate. He comes to Jesus making the journey, which probably would have been better part of a day, from Capernaum to Cana. And there's a desperation in that action. Like we see something and we hope that it might help our pain or frustration or sorrow. 
There's a desperation. He goes. He travels well over 17 miles, which whether he had a horse or a camel or just walked, it would have taken a good chunk of time and it would have been strenuous. He doesn't know if Jesus, he could even find Jesus. He hopes it's a small town. Hopefully he can find him. And there's this risk that he's going in to see this religious leader. And if he was a normal Pharisee, the Pharisee would have just spat on him and said, go away. But he hopes and he takes bravery to go and beg for his son to be healed. But like the first sign, Jesus responds with another rebuke. If you do not see miracles or signs, you will not believe. Now, for a little context that we need to understand this passage, we don't have a second person plural. So we don't have, unless you're from the South, you have y'all. But for the rest of us, we don't have a second person plural. And so when there is a second person plural in the text, it's really easy to miss. He actually says, y'all don't believe. Or y'all, if y'all don't see miracles, you all won't believe. So we need to read this in the greater context of what is going on. What Jesus is asking us as well as throughout this whole fourth chapter. Although this rebuke may seem unfair, the question Jesus is asking and is primarily asking, I think the Galileans and not this official, is will you believe? Will you believe without seeing? In the Lord's wisdom, of course, he knows what the official will respond. And the rebuke is, in fact, to, I think, the Galileans, as I said, who we know saw but did not believe, did not, despite the result. And they didn't even see the result of this miracle, as we read. So the official pleads all the more because his son is dying. And he says, go, your son lives. For whatever reason, most translators, translations kind of soften this. They get go, but then your son will live. But this, this is really an emphatic commandment. And the results are instantaneous. <clears throat> it is go now. There's no question. Just go home. And then it's your son lives. There's no will. It's not a future promise. It is a present promise promise that Jesus makes to this official. Now, we may be far removed from Jesus in this time, and we may not be able to see his work as, as lively as we might like, but the question that be he's begging the Galileans is, are you looking for signs, or are you willing to believe even if he's far off? And then the official experiences the reward for belief. As the royal official returns to his home, he's greeted by a servant who tells him that his son is well. And as he grills this servant and asks him, well, when did this happen? How did this happen? So on and so forth. He learns that it's at that moment that Jesus said, go, your son lives. As we said, this promise wasn't a future promise. It came to pass as Jesus said, it came to pass. But there's a greater reward that we learn as we read on. And it is that his whole household saw this and believed. Because this, this servant or this, this official went and believed without seeing 
everyone was able to believe with seeing in his house. What a glorious and good thing. Last week we gave a hypothesis that, uh, that miracles are sped up natural phenomenon. And you might be wondering, well, how does this fit into that box? I think you made a, a small box there, Father Ian. And maybe I did. But I want to think about this a little more. Because we all know someone who has gotten ill and not recovered. Perhaps they were even a faithful Christian. And we may wonder, well, why did this, this man recover from his illness? But our, our brother, our friend, our sister, our, our wife, our husband didn't. We may wonder that, but we have to slow down and think about this as a whole promise. First, Jesus does heal. Jesus has healed all of us who are in Christ. Jesus has given us spiritual life. So when we say, Jesus, I believe, he says to you, you live. It's not future. You live right now if you are in Christ. This is the miracle of faith. This is the miracle of the belief that you have been given through Christ. It is the life that you have here and now in Christ. But Jesus still heals in this day and age. Even here at All, All Saints, I have seen people come to life both in Christ, but also to healing from old ailments that have gone away or subsided so that they may live more fully. But I have also buried people that I have loved. I have buried people that I have prayed over, whose hands I'd held, and prayed that they would see healing as well. And this reminds us of a truth. The fullness of healing comes in eternity. Our scars, our blemishes, our pains, our woes, our heartache, all that has held us down and hurt us in this life comes when we finally meet Christ face to face. When we finally get home, when we finally rest in Christ, we, you and I, will truly live. And so, my friends, this morning I encourage you, I pray that you would go from this place knowing that you live now in Christ and walk in the belief of him, whether you see or do not see. Believe this, my friends. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, It is more blessed to give.